This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today, I am here with Jolene Park, and Jolene is a functional nutritionist and a very good friend of mine. We both live here in Denver, and thank you so much, Jolene, for joining. This is fun. Thanks for asking me, Annie. Oh, it's awesome. So recently, Jolene has become quite famous. She had a TED Talk, which is awesome, and such a, just such a cool thing on such a cool topic. So I want to talk to you about your TED Talk. Um, and maybe we can just dive in there, but I also would really love you to share your story. So any way you want to intertwine it is great for me. Sure. Well, my TED talk was the culmination of my story, um, over all the years. And it was, um, my title of the talk was gray area drinking, um, nourishing your nervous system in a new and revolutionary way. So as a functional nutritionist, I've studied brain chemistry, neurotransmitters, kind of the physiological mechanisms that happen around cravings um, with sugar and alcohol. And then my own story has been, while I've been working in corporate wellness over the years and working with people one-on-one, I um, loved red wine and fit in really well how I drank red wine, but it was becoming more and more of a problem, especially kind of around the 38, 43-year-old period. Um, and I quit drinking when I was 43. So the TED Talk was was a, a kind of a, a mixture of a little bit of my story of the back and forth merry-go-round. Um, I would stop drinking at times. I'd say, oh, I'm doing a paleo challenge. I'm, um, you know, just not drinking for a while. And, and it slid under the radar really well because of the work that I did. And people are like, oh, OK, you're doing wellness and nutrition. That makes sense since I didn't get hassled too much. And then I would, you know, my own mind be like, I want to, I want to drink. Like, why am I doing, why am I being so restrictive? And I'd go back to drinking. Um, but it was escalating for me. It was becoming really, really easy. Um, and very much a habitual pattern to be drinking, you know, in the end, most days, um, with the last year that I quit, I was drinking most days and it was also becoming very easy to say, I'm just going to have a glass of wine while I'm starting to make dinner tonight. And, um, I would end up drinking the whole bottle. And that was the pattern that I wanted. I knew that I didn't want to keep continuing. And it's really cool because in your wellness work, you obviously were probably quite a bit more aware. I I know for me, wellness was sort of, you know, the last thing from my mind. I was young and I was healthy and, you know, whatever. So I, I didn't have that kind of same cognitive awareness around how alcohol impacts my body. So I think your story is unique in that not only were you super aware and taking these breaks, but you were very mindful to recognize the escalation as it was happening instead of recognizing it kind of in hindsight after something negative had happened. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, and, and the other part of my story is, is anxiety. I've always been um, a pretty anxious person. And, and through my drinking would think, oh, you know, just I'm an anxious person, but didn't kind of realize how much the alcohol was making me anxious. And part of that anxiety, I can also be a bit of a hypochondriac. So, you know, I think that was some of it too, but there was also things I didn't realize. Um, I remember calling my nurse practitioner, my, my women's um, health doctor a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was maybe like a year and a half before I stopped drinking. 
And I set up a, a call with her on my lunch hour. And I went, the place I was working, sat in my car in the parking lot and um, said, you know, my anxiety is really up and I'm, I'm drinking, I'm drinking too much. And that was the first time I kind of, you know, said that to, to my healthcare practitioner. And the first thing she said to me is she said, you know, the connection between alcohol and breast cancer, don't you? And I didn't. I hadn't heard that for working in wellness and the work that I do. That was the first time I'd heard that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I was doing the work I was doing, but there were still things I didn't know. And it was more just my personal anxiety story that was driving my drinking and and then also made me worry about my drinking. And so every time you would take these breaks, it was relatively easy or would you say it was difficult? Did you deal with cravings while you were on a break or how, how did it work? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I'm a pretty like when I make a decision kind of person, I, you know, I have an all or nothing component to myself. So, so there was that, of I, I wasn't to that level of dependency where, um, I, I, I guess like physically, you know, it was difficult, but it would be hard emotionally, psychologically, because I was very much in a, in that pattern of at the end of the day, you know, it could be a really good day, but I just wanted to downshift. You know, my mind was really revved up. I'd been working. I'd put a lot of energy out, either teaching or speaking or coaching. It, it wasn't that it was bad stress, but um, my brain was on kind of that hyper on mode all the time. And so I wanted the wine then because it worked. It did. I mean, the first 20 minutes, it absolutely worked. Um but yeah, that was more, that was, that pattern was harder to get out of because that was becoming just kind of my only go-to thing to shut off that anxious brain. And so the, would you say that the tools you had before you stopped using in favor of the wine or when you stopped, did you have to build new tools or was it kind of a combination? Yeah. So when I would stop and I stopped many times over the years I did, and that's what I call kind of that gray area, merry-go-round back and forth drinking. Um, I stopped for almost 18 months at one point because I was doing a lot of yoga and the yoga program I was in, a big part of it was, you know, not to drink alcohol, um, that style of yoga. And so I just quit. And then there was a time where I stopped for seven months and I, I would stop for 30 days and do paleo. So I did a lot of that. And um, but I just did like I just stopped. But then I had nothing in place for when life got hard mm -hmm. and the anxiety came up. So when I got to the point of, I don't want to keep doing this stopping and starting, it's, it's a problem. I know it's a problem. It's becoming a real problem. That's when I consciously started putting in um, some of the things I talk about in my TED Talk um, of what are some of those biochemical pieces, some of the kind of the somatic, the body psychology of bringing the body out of that fight, flight, freeze response, and just doing some things to kind of synchronize, harmonize the um, you know, the brain chemistry. And I was very purposeful and very focused on that, knowing I'm stopping for good. Um, I've got to do some things to kind of rebalance, rebuild and replenish my body and brain. And so two questions. One is um, stopping for good. Did you know it was for good? Like the time you knew this is it, it you knew this was it? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. I did. And again, it wasn't just some, um, um, I was quiet about my drinking. You know, I've said this um, in, in other interviews and things. I, the majority of my drinking was at the end of the day. Um, I'm not married. 
So, you know, coming home after a work day, I would, tr I traveled a lot. And so it was very easy to, you know, go out to dinner, um, you know, often after finishing a work project or I'm home. And again, it was that I'm going to have a glass. Oh, screw it. I had the glass. I'll have another glass. Okay. I'll have another glass. So that was my, I drank like that on my own a lot of the time, or I'd go out with friends and have one or two glasses and then stop somewhere on the way home or come home and open another bottle. And so people didn't know that. People didn't kind of see that that was happening. And there was never any negative ramification, but I was, that was how I was living. And so, and then in that, I'd be like, oh, I'm just, you know, now I'm not going to drink for a while. And people are like, okay, I guess you're just, because you work in health and wellness, that makes sense. But they didn't know that that kind of that quiet alone drinking was happening. So I had done so much of that stopping and starting, stopping and starting that I got to that point on December 14th, 2014, that it wasn't just kind of a flippant, oh, I just woke up one day and decided I'm not going to drink anymore. It was many years um, of internal kind of angst and struggle and back and forth that because of that, I knew in my bones, no matter what happened in the future, good or bad, alcohol wasn't going to be an option for me anymore. And I, I was very clear and resolute about making that decision for myself. And that was also quiet. You know, then I didn't, I didn't say that and kind of articulate that to a lot of people in the first couple months. But the more time has gone on, then I've started um, kind of bridging my story because I think the neurotransmitter piece, I think the physiology piece, understanding the stress response is so important. And I love that stuff. But then I had to start telling my story of why I love it and why I'm so interested in it because I personally struggled and went through it for many years. Oh, that's so interesting. So my second question is right, right on that um, tact is what tips can you, can you give listeners um, about how to support the brain with other other things besides alcohol. Yeah. Well, first of all, not putting alcohol in the brain. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> Number one is a great first step. Um, and it does, as you know, as time goes on, you know, the more days, weeks, and months that you string together without alcohol in, in the brain, it just makes it easier. The, the brain starts to lose kind of that cellular memory of it. But it's not about white knuckling it and just kind of jumping off the cliff and not drinking. <laughs> so taking alcohol out, you know, a, a good first step. But then I start with the physiology. Physiology is, is my foundation, the physical side of things. And so I think there's um, a couple pieces to look at. The first is blood sugar, because alcohol can really wreak havoc on the blood sugar roller coaster. I've also... Um, been pretty hypoglycemic and a low blood sugar person, which played into my anxiety. I wish I would have known that like in high school when I had panic attacks and would feel so anxious, I wouldn't eat and didn't really know about nutrition and would drink soda. And it just made it worse of that spiking and dipping of the blood sugar makes anxiety worse, makes cravings worse. So one of the best things to do is just simply eat on a regular basis. There, I know it sounds like... Well, we want something like some big magic thing, but there's a lot of magic in eating within 30 to 60 minutes of waking and then eating midday and then at the end of the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. What you eat, we can get more specific, but just eat. Like I find so many people 
don't eat, skip meals, you know, go all day. And then that's, then our blood sugar is so low. And then we want alcohol, we want sugar things. So start with eating on a regular basis. When you eat, choose protein. And the reason um, I say choose protein is because protein breaks down into amino acids and amino acids are the raw materials that make dopamine, serotonin, and GABA um, those neurotransmitters that regulate cravings, that tell us we're not anxious, we're not depressed, we can sleep. And the things that feed those and keep that kind of upper regulated is amino acids from protein. So eat regularly, choose protein, whatever you like, animal protein, vegetable protein, it doesn't matter. Um, and then eat a healthy fat, uh, primarily an omega-3 fat. Omega-3 fats are also the raw materials that make serotonin and dopamine. They feed the brain. Um, help balance blood sugar, as does protein. And then carbohydrates, just to keep your energy stable. But, uh, you know, carbs is an interesting category because often people will say, I'm not eating carbs. And I say, what does that mean? Because there's kind of, the first is fruits and vegetables. The second is um, starchy, grainy, floury, kind of cereal bread um, type products. And then the third category is desserts and candies and soda and alcohol and all the sweet stuff. So when people say, I'm not eating carbs, are you not eating broccoli or are you not eating M&Ms? Right. <laughs> so ideally, um, every time you know, you're eating, you're having a big supply of vegetables as your carbohydrate source, which are not going to spike your blood sugar really high, but the fiber will fill you up. And there's so many um, rebuilding kind of antioxidants, minerals, and vitamins that are in the colorful vegetables. So pick a protein, pick a healthy fat, and healthy fats are things like chia seeds, flax seeds, fish, fish oil, walnuts, avocados, and then pick whatever, whatever vegetables you like um, and stay really hydrated with water. And that can go just getting that baseline in can go a really long way when you first start giving up alcohol. Oh, that's huge. It's so important. I, I feel like my entire life changed when I just started eating protein on a regular basis. The amount of, <laughs> you know, so much work into like different antidepressants and quitting drinking and everything else and everything had its piece and everything, you know, worked a little bit, but literally when the biggest change came literally overnight, was when my naturopath just said, wake up. And as soon as you wake up, you need protein and you need a lot of it and you need to keep eating it. And it was like, wow, that emotionally just changed everything for me. It was incredible. Yeah. And especially coming out of, if you've been drinking regularly, um, you know, if you, if your body's used to like having just however many drinks in the evening on a pretty frequent basis, blood sugar gets really wacky. Um, so in the morning, blood sugar is really low. That's often what we're feeling is kind of that. I would always feel so nauseated and queasy. It's low blood sugar, um, you know, from the, the dip with the alcohol because um, it really, you know, drops your blood sugar. So coming in with some protein will start to bring that blood sugar back up and balance things out. So it's, it's, so cool. yeah, it's an important piece. That's really cool. And um just skipping around a little bit, but I love the title of your TED Talk, Gray Area Drinking. And how, how would you define what gray area drinking is? <laughs> um, I think gray area drinking is how most people drink. Um, so I'll tell you what, what, I, you know, who, what I think is not gray area drinking. Um, 
people who have a drink every now and again, like every couple months or every couple weeks, they might go to a wedding and have a glass of champagne. That's not gray area drinking. Um, what's also not gray area drinking is end stage, like cirrhosis of the liver. Your eyes are yellow with jaundice because, you know, gotten so pickled from alcohol. That's not gray area drinking. So those are kind of the two extremes. Um, and I kind of think anything in between that falls in the gray area because, um, there, there's no, um, you know, like the government guidelines that there's no kind of approved, um, how do I say it? Level of alcohol that there's no okay level of alcohol to put in your body. Right. So, um, and for women, um, you know, one five ounce glass of wine every day is actually considered moderate drinking. Two five ounce glasses of wine is heavy drinking. So I was drinking heavy with, you know, when I would have two to four glasses, which was very easy to do. So, and that's kind of the coveted, like, oh, if I could just have a glass or two of wine, it's actually moderate heavy drinking. Um, so I, I think we've done a real disservice. And, and the paradigm that I want to shake is this end stage, lose everything, lost a job, have a DUI, have cirrhosis of the liver. That's extreme, extreme, extreme end stage. And, you know, a couple drinks on a regular basis throughout the week is moderate heavy drinking, which is gray area drinking. And it's so interesting. And I think I might even have it on my desk, but um, there's a study by the CDC and it said of people, so it, it defines excessive drinking as just one more glass than that one per day. So it's eight glasses, five ounce glasses of wine per week for women is excessive drinking. So if you're drinking just one more than that one per day, you're in excessive drinking according to the CDC. And then what's also interesting is of excessive drinkers, only 10% are considered, quote, alcoholic, even though they don't use that term, um, but right. physically dependent on, on alcohol. So the 90% is really, I think, you know, what you're talking about here, such an important audience. Um, but then interestingly, and I just want to share this, and I might have shared it before, but this is, this is the DSM-5. So this is like the diagnostic uh, statistical manual for how every single disorder is, is categorized. And there's 11 questions. And the presence of at least two yeses indicates an alcohol use disorder, which I think you would say would be a gray area drinking. And it's interesting because it can be mild, two to three symptoms, moderate, four to five, and then severe, six or more. But I want to just, for listeners, these are two of the questions. Have you had times when you ended up drinking more or longer than you intended? Which was often every time I drank, right? I'm, I'm just going to have a glass of wine. Screw it. I'll order a second glass. Right. Uh, now that I've had two, I'll just have three. And who do we know who is a drinker who isn't in this, you know, this glass of champagne at a wedding category who hasn't on occasion gotten sick or hasn't on occasion been, you know, most people do end up drinking. And this is in the last year. So in the past year, just one time, if you've drank more or longer than you intended, that's a yes to one question. And then the other one is, have you had to drink more than you once did to get the effect you want? So that's a yes to two questions. And that for me, as you just said, you know, people might say, okay, most of the population, I take issue with that. But actually, according to our statistical manual, that is alcohol use disorder, a mild form of alcohol use disorder. 
those two things, which again, most people would say yes to those two things. Yeah. And when I was drinking, this is another thing I didn't know for working in health and wellness. I actually didn't know that whole thing about one drink every day or seven drinks a week is moderate drinking. Right. Um, Like how easy is, I mean, I was basically in two nights, I could get seven drinks, Um, you know, and, and out with others who, who were, you know, we're all drinking like that and more. Right. I, I didn't, that was something that I didn't know. Um, so really, again, for me, it wasn't like, oh, I work in health and wellness. I'm making this decision to be healthy. You know, it was not that it was, this was a real internal struggle for me, um, for many years and the misery of that back and forth and just living that back and forth. Um, cause I would feel so, I, I love the immediate effect. I, I, you know, that first 20 minutes into a glass of wine, I love it. But I would always then have the back end effect of being so queasy and so nauseous in my blood and the whole next day feeling so gross and still, you know, continuing to drink on a really regular basis. Um, As someone who doesn't like to throw up, doesn't like to be sick, has a hypochondriac, but was doing that, I knew I was dipping my toes far and deep into the problem drinking pool. And, you know, and it's not. Um, you know, it's not like, oh, I quit and I never think about it again or want to drink. But I got to that point of I don't I can't keep living like this. It's more miserable to live the back and forth merry-go-round than to just have a really uncomfortable anxiety kind of, you know, intense day. Right. And then, by the way, when you do have an anxiety intense day, you are a person who I know for sure has developed so many tools to deal with that, that you wouldn't have developed or you wouldn't have learned about, or you wouldn't have come across had you continued numbing it with something that, yeah, sure. That first 20 minutes is nice, but then ultimately it, you know, does it's, it's quite harmful in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's the basic nutrition um, side of things, which I certainly did. Um, but I also pulled in some more of kind of the functional medicine side of things. And, and there's some herbs that can boost GABA. I, I have low, as an anxious person, my GABA is low. That's why um, I was attracted to drinking because it gives me that feeling of like that, oh, you know, kind of that calm, like warm honey just kind of moved from my head through my toes, like that anti-anxiety feeling. And so I had to do more than just eat protein. Uh, to do that. And I don't take antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication. So there were some herbs that that I um, put into play and was very consistent with those the first couple months after not drinking. And then I don't know if you and I have ever talked about, do you know the alpha stem? Mm -mm. Um, It's a little cranial device. I don't have it here at my desk, but um, you clip it on your earlobes. And it's FDA approved for anxiety, depression, and insomnia. And I learned about it at a functional medicine conference 10 years ago when I was still drinking um, for anxiety, depression, insomnia, and got it at a really reduced rate. So I had this device and I would use it off and on and and felt, you know, it it certainly can kind of, it would help me like fall asleep and things. So it's just a little zap on the ears and it helps to boost GABA, serotonin, and dopamine. And that was something that I used um, daily when, when I quit drinking. And and that's the type of stuff where it's like, I knew these tools, I had these tools, but I had to be really 
kind of focused of, I now need to use these mm -hmm. if I'm making the decision that alcohol isn't what I'm going to use to regulate anxiety. So I use some herbs. I use the alpha stem. Um, it's a little pricey, um, but you know, I, I, people can check, take a look at their website. I'm not connected with them in any financial or, you know, other way, but it's a nice device to know about. And then the other thing that I um, started doing was somatic experiencing therapy. So I was studying yoga and had some really good yoga teachers who are trained in somatic meaning body. So kind of that body experience of learning how to tolerate the anxiety in the body and kind of that clenching, you know, my stomach or that of like, I just want to get out of this and numb it and kind of jump out of my skin and how to sit with that. And so I, that was another really important piece for me. Um, so it was, it was bigger than I just decided to quit drinking and now I eat breakfast. Right, right. No, that's huge. Um, I, I recently saw a post in one of the groups about an herb kava. Was that one of the ones, or do you know anything about that herb as, as an anti-anxiety herb? Yep. Um, I mean, kava can, can be, you know, an option. It's not something I personally use. There was some, um, stuff about it last couple of years about concern if it was raising liver enzymes mm. um, and what it did to the liver, which alcohol will also raise your liver enzymes. And, and I, I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence with, with that. I mean, I think if you use it as directed, you're not going to get a jump in liver enzymes, but I personally don't feel very good on kava. Like it actually makes me feel a little drunk and kind of woozy. I don't like the effect of it. Um, but you can get it in any health food store. But the, the herbs that I used um, were passionflower, lemon balm, and holy basil. Okay. Um, and people can Google those, take a look at them. There's all um, lots of good data on all three of those herbs for naturally boosting GABA. It's not a drug effect. Um, you know, it's not, there's not side effects if you use it as directed on the label. I will say I took it in a tincture form, so liquid, and I would put it in, you know, I'd pull up in the little tincture and then put it in water. Um, if so, you're listening and you're very, very sensitive to alcohol, like, you know, you mouthwash and all of that in those tinctures, they will, um, use a little alcohol as a preservative. So you can get those tinctures with glycerin if you don't want the alcohol component. Um, or you can take them as capsules too. So you don't have that, but the research on lemon balm, passion flower and holy basil. I also like holy basil in a tea. Um, and sometimes it's known as Tulsi tea, mm. T U L S I. And you can just have a really calming, um, relaxing effect. So those were three things that I personally used. Oh, that's great. And I don't take them now. So, um, kind of th to get through those first initial weeks and months as my GABA was coming back up into balance because alcohol just really depletes it. So I had to kind of rebuild those receptors. I used the herbs and now I, I don't take them. That's great. And about how long would you say, did you start really feeling normal? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> <laughs> define normal. <laughs> Do we ever right. feel normal? <laughs> I, know, right. um, I can, you know, across the board, of course, when you stop drinking, uh, you uh, generally like it's, you, I just, you, I feel better when I wouldn't drink. Um, but I would hit those moments of, right. Cause you know, dealing with then the anxiety. Um, and so I remember it wasn't like day to day life, you know, I didn't feel well, but I do remember certain kind of mile markers on the road. I remember at about four months, 
Like it was really like, I want to drink like this. I just want to drink a bottle of wine. And that was four months in. Um, and I did a, I did a somatic experiencing therapy session, you know, with, with my therapist of working on some of that body regulation. Um, and I remember doing that session with her. So I remember, you know, four months, there was a piece. I remember hitting nine months and thinking like, Oh, I feel like I kind of turned a corner. Like, I'm just not thinking about this as much. And again, there was a lot of thought in it of like what I'm doing daily with herbs and, you know, making the decision not to drink nine months. I felt like I turned a corner. Um, a year, I think, is pretty pivotal and pretty profound going a whole 12 month cycle through four seasons, you know, through everything. But but it's definitely there's waves will hit. Um, but on a day to day basis, I felt overall um, so much better by not drinking. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, one of the things I was going to ask you is, I know that you do. So, so now in your work, can you share a little bit about what you do and where people can find you, especially if they want to learn more about anything that you've been talking about? <laughs> yeah. So people can find me at healthydiscoveries.com. Um, I work with people one-on-one, uh, in a, in a coaching relationship. And I'm just adding a consulting uh, piece to that. So how I've been working um, with people, I work with a lot of high achieving professionals. So their story is very similar to mine. Um, you know, job title is amazing, achieving in their life, they've got their family, they've, you know, kind of got these pieces going, but there's that silent struggle that, um, you know, only they kind of know at the 3 a.m. mark, they're like, why did I do this again? Kind of that type of back and forth drinking. So that's who I work with on a one-to-one -one basis. And um, we do an initial intake call to just really um, hear their story, hear their pattern. Um, it gives me an idea of their brain chemistry, their stress response, what's going on with their metabolism. From there, I set up really concrete um, action steps, pulling in functional nutrition pieces, the, the somatic psychology, the um, kind of the brain balancing. And then they have contact with me every day. So they'll follow up with accountability, um, you know, email check-in. We can tweak things along the way. Um, if they're having a hard time, they can SOS, you know, email me uh, questions or wobbles. And then we have a call. I either do video calls or telephone calls um, with them each week. And so I work with people um, 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days, just depending on, on what they need. Um, and I'm adding in a new consulting piece where if people are like, I don't really need a, a full, like, you know, um, 90 day piece, but I just want to sit down and kind of, you know, pick, they want to pick my brain for 90 minutes. So they've got me. And um, they just kind of want to get back on track, get refocused, get that jump start of what are the resources, what are the practical tools, what are some of those missing pieces they may not have known about their, you know, biochemistry, about their blood sugar, their brain chemistry. So I will, I'll work on kind of a one-off uh, consultation too. So I coach and I consult. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. And um, I have sent people your way and had just amazing, amazing um, responses. People love working with you, so... Oh, that's great. Um, so I always ask this question sort of at the end. Uh, but my question is, what would you tell the Jolene of before who was starting and stopping and starting and stopping kind of in that, in that uh, experience about what kind of life is like here on the other side of things? Oh, goodness. Um, it's so much better. 
<laughs> so much better um, to be out of that that grip of going back and forth. And it's just so much better. And and I've met so many people as a result, Annie, you being one of them. And there's just this whole movement and this whole new wave. And it's not going to stop. It's it's going to get bigger and bigger. Um, I really believe we're going to start looking at alcohol the way we were looking at cigarettes in the 60s and 70s. It's it's not that people, you know, everyone's going to stop drinking, but the paradigm is is going to shift. And so it's it's a great movement to be part of and to connect with just so many like-minded people that, you know, we, we, it's not even that we may talk about not drinking, but it's just like, wow, because we've both made this decision to not drink, there's all these other things that, you know, we have in common and, and are like-minded. So it's opened up a whole new realm for me of relationships and connection, which was a core thing for me of wanting to stop um, because of connection and relationships, you know, with men. Because I look early on at um, that was when I really, it turned for me, was after a real devastating um, breakup. I wasn't a big drinker in high school or college. And then there was a breakup in my late 20s that I was just crushed over. And um, in that kind of grief and pain, I remember drinking a bottle of wine and being like, why have I not done this? But like, this thing's amazing. <laughs> it just shuts off all that pain. But that's what got me that set kind of the stage. My body remembered that and continued, you know, really through my 30s and, and first part of my 40s. And, and I really looked at that saying, I want this connection. Like I want, you know, these connected into I want to be married. And I really felt like what how I was drinking was keeping me from ever having that connection and that intimacy that I wanted. And that was a huge why of of why I stopped and it's so true drinking was keeping me from that oh that's so cool that's awesome what a good thing to tell your past self and all our listeners uh well Jolene this has just been such a pleasure thank you so much for coming on we'll have to have you back and and get I mean I feel like we you know barely scratched the surface I really wanted to get into your story a bit which I appreciate you doing but just barely scratched the surface of of just so much knowledge that you have in this area about the body, about the mind, about the relationship between the two. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.